Imagine you're in a jewelry store, and you buy for your significant other a ring with a diamond on it. The jeweler takes a couple of notes in his little notebook with a pencil. The purchase is done, and you're happily going back home with this little surprise for your partner in your pocket. Would you have thought, at this moment in time, that the pencil that the jeweler used and the diamond are actually very, very similar? But you paid a lot of money for the diamond, but the pencil you can buy in a pack of five apiece in the supermarket for not even a fraction of the price. The common denominator that I'm talking about is that they're made from the same element, carbon. At this point, I have to disappoint the people who are fans of ancient Greece who are thinking of the four elements that the Greeks were using, earth, fire, water, and wind. What I mean here, unsurprisingly, is a chemical element, a pure substance, a matter consisting only of one single species of something. In this case, this would be carbon. As you know, there is a something called a periodic table where many, many other elements are described. Now, carbon is an element that you find everywhere in the world. It is very abundant and it's actually one of the basic building blocks of life. And you can find it, for example, also in something like carbon dioxide or CO2. The C, in this case, stands for carbon. But how does that work? Diamonds are hard and they glisten in the sunlight and they're pretty to look at. And a pencil is, well, it's a pencil. In order to understand that, we have to have a look at the carbon atoms and the arrangement and the structure that they take in a diamond and in the lead of a pencil. But let's slow down a bit and start from the very beginning. My name is Johannes Vogel and you're listening to Chemistry in Everyday Life. My podcast where I try to explain the chemistry that happens all around us in layman's terms. Chemistry is the study of the attributes and changes that substances can undergo, no matter if they are gases, liquids, or solids. And believe me when I tell you that this happens everywhere around us at this moment. Let's start us off with an example. I'm pretty sure you're all aware of these works scaffolding that you can find in virtually any city in the world that are used to restore old facades or reach certain damages in a building that needs to get fixed. Now, when you look at these things carefully, they have a very specific structure. So you've got your platform, and at each corner of the platform, there are some metal rods that protract upwards to give the next level on top an even playing field to be put upon and to give some stability. Then you put some more metal rods across to add further stability. Using this, you can stack these scaffoldings what seems to be almost as high as you want to. Now, would you remove 
one of those crossbeams in one of those platforms, or, for example, you only put a metal rod at three of the four corners, the next level of this scaffold would be nowhere near as stable. You will actually find that for the carbon atoms in the diamond, something similar to the working scaffold that I just mentioned holds true as well. Before we go into greater detail on this one, a quick explanation on atoms. Atoms are the basic building blocks of all solid, liquid or gaseous substances. Each atom is assigned to a chemical element. In this case, we're talking about carbon. So we have carbon atoms. Atoms themselves are so small, you cannot see them with a microscope. They are less than a millionth of a millimeter in diameter. And atoms, in this case for diamond, are connected through very strong chemical connections called covalent bonds. And together, all these connections, they actually result in a scaffold themselves of always repeating units millions and millions of times. This scaffold, or lattice that you can find on a molecular level, that means on the scale of a molecule, gives diamond the hardness, the excellent heat dissipation, and this excellent resistance to wear and tear. As an explanation, a molecule is a particle that consists of two or more atoms that are connected amongst each other. When you now look at this lattice, you'll see a repeating unit. And the repeating unit in the working scaffolding that I talked about was a little corner where you can stand the four rods up and the crossbeams. In this diamond lattice, the repeating unit is something called a tetrahedron, which is a pyramid that consists of four sides with three corners each, so four triangles put together. Diamond is the hardest and one of the most resistant materials to wear and tear that is known to man. As a consequence, it has a lot of uses, mainly in drills, milling tools, and in abrasives. But of course, the use that most people associate with it is as jewelry, as I said at the very beginning. Now, of course, I wouldn't mind having a couple of diamonds in my pocket. But truth be told, I use a pencil far more often. And that would not be possible without carbon. As a brief side note, the lead in a pencil is actually not made of lead. This was a misunderstanding that originated in the 1600s, where a group of Englishmen identified a certain matter as lead, while it was in fact something called graphite, another material that consists purely and only of carbon. But how on earth can you write with this? Have you ever looked for a very specific card in a deck of cards? Most people, when they have to do this, have the deck of cards in one hand, and then they slide with their thumb the top card from the one hand into the other in order to see what card lies beneath. Now, graphite consists of layers of sheets, and like the cards glide over each other, the layers of graphite slide over each other as well. 
And when you write with a pencil, something like what I just described with cards happens with these layers on a molecular level. As I mentioned before, graphite consists of layers. Like with diamonds, it consists exclusively of carbon atoms. But unlike diamond, it is not a 3D scaffold, but a lot, a lot, a lot of two-dimensional layers. These layers are held together by the aforementioned strong covalent bonds, again, like in diamonds. So they do not break easily at all. But all the layers lying on top of each other are actually not strongly bound at all. The only thing holding them together are very weak forces, known as van der Waals forces. Coming back to our example of the deck of cards. You've got 52 cards in a deck, and you want to tear them all in half all at once, so that you have 104 half cards. Now I hope you all agree that this is really hard to do. But if you want to cut them in a different way, for example that you slide the top piece of the deck to the side and cut it this way, similar how you would cut a deck during a game of poker. In the example of graphite, again, the parallel layers that lie on top of each other, to break through them, to cut them in half is really difficult. But to rub the top layer off is actually not that difficult. So taking this from the molecular level into the real world, you put a pencil on top of a paper and you draw it across and you see a line. This is because the paper causes abrasion on the lead, which then loses a bunch of layers that are only connected to each other through these very weak forces. As a consequence, parts of the graphite remains on the paper and you've efficiently drawn something. So in summary, we encountered two forms of pure carbon. One material, the hardest naturally occurring material on Earth. The other material, soft, and it easily abrades, so you can use it for drawing and writing. Diamond and graphite. The molecular structure and the arrangement of the carbon atoms alone created two entirely different materials. The molecular structure and arrangement do not only decide about the hardness of a material, other attributes can be affected by it as well. One simple example is the difference between sand and specific types of glass, because the arrangement of silicon dioxide can create two entirely different physical forms. One grains of sand, the other one's transparent, continuous materials such as glass. So you see already the molecular structure of something can decide which use the material might have. You've been listening to Chemistry in Everyday Life, a podcast about chemistry that happens all around us, explained in layman's terms. If you liked what you heard, please rate us on iTunes or another podcast medium of your choice. Alternatively, you can leave comments all of this would help. Chemistry in Everyday Life is a co-production between Simon Philipp Vogel and myself, Johannes Vogel. Thank you for listening.